Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Brothers Banter. With you, as always, is Brother Raphael. And I'm Brother JD. It's good to be with you all today. As we continue our Get to Know the Brothers mini-series, we are privileged and some might even say graced to have with us a very special brother who has played a significant role in my discernment and my formation as a brother and as a teacher. Drum roll, please. The one and only Brother Francis. Well, hello. I'm not sure that I am the one and only Brother Francis in an institute as large as we are. But <laughs> so, yes, my name is Brother Francis Eels. I am a De La Salle brother. I've been a brother for about 30 years. I first met the brothers as a student at La Salle University in Philadelphia. Uh, I had accidentally taken a course in poetry by a professor by the last name of Ellis. And then I discovered that it was actually Brother Patrick Ellis, who was president of the university at the time. Uh, Brother Patrick, for being the president of the university, was a relatively down-to-earth guy. Uh, he was a, a, a big man, imposing in many ways. But once you were a student in your classroom, he was Brother Patrick. He wasn't president. Um, he wasn't anybody other than your teacher. Mm. And then I had a, a few other brothers along the way at LaSalle. So that was my introduction to them. And as I'm sure so many of my classmates, we asked ourselves the question, why are these guys brothers? And why aren't they priests? Um, brotherhood is not a well-known vocation in the church. Uh, oftentimes people see it as a way station, uh, a period of formation that somebody might have. Uh, when in fact, for us, it it is the vocation. So, so I I saw them as really good teachers. I found them to be brotherly, fraternal mm -hmm. uh, um, men that you could talk to, and there were no airs about them. So, when I was a senior, both Brother Patrick and another brother, Brother Gabriel, who were teachers of mine uh, both asked me had I thought about the brothers and I was a bit nervous about that because in fact I had thought a little bit about it um, but having kind of imagined my career a little bit differently the notion that maybe just maybe those plans weren't going to happen if I joined the brothers, I was nervous and skittish. Uh, but in joining a program that we had at the time in the aspirancy program, I realized, you know what, you could try this out. And if it didn't work out, you just keep on. And if it did work out, well, it seemed like they led, led a pretty good life. So why would you not give it a shot? And I was also lucky in that there were a number of guys at the time, most of whom uh, are not brothers, but a number of guys who walked with me, so to speak, at first. 
And, um, you know, that's one of the difficulties of religious life, I think, today for young people is uh, who's going to walk with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's strange because, you know, if you think about other things that we start out with, even even in schools, you know, the friends you start out with as freshmen aren't necessarily the friends you have as seniors. But those people that you start out with certainly help you get through and get to the point where you're able to, in some ways, move on and other ways to continue. So um, so I guess there's a little dose of the Holy Spirit in there and the, the chance to do something bigger than myself, be a part of this group of men who I really respected. That's what got me to got me through the first stage or two. Um, so then, you know, I, I had visited a community or two. Uh, when you move in to community, one of the things that strikes you is there really are no heirs inside the brother's house. What do I mean by that? Um, you can you can call the brother's brother if you want, if you're not sure exactly who everybody is. But most of them expect you to call them by their first name. And in fact, I remember one summer I spent at LaSalle University and another former president was sitting at the table with me and he was held in awe by everybody. And everybody else was calling him Dan, except for me. I kept, kept calling him brother. And he finally, he just very quietly leaned over and said, uh, Fran, in the house, I'm Dan. And that's really what you need to do. And I was like, okay, Dan. And that was the end of it. <laughs> um, and, and so, um, you know, what struck me is, is that when I was in, even in formation, we were we were brothers and that when i did vocation work i used to do that with the students i would find you know start asking them questions about whether they were the oldest or the youngest or whatever and i would quiz them on whether or not they had been if they were if they were the older brother when their younger brother or sister was born did i did they did they have a test for them that day or did they give them a little time and wait a couple of days before they tested and I usually th- would throw whoever I was asking, as well as their classmates, like, questions? What kind of questions? What do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, about being a brother or being, you know, their brother or sister. And I'm like, well, no, I didn't, I didn't give any questions. I said, oh, so you made the pay the fee, right? So they, they didn't take the test. They just, like, they paid the fee. And they're like, there's no fee. I said, you just let them become brothers like you didn't. There wasn't any application or anything like that. And that's not to say that we don't have an application but or process. But the thing is, is that once you're a brother, you're a brother. There's no. You know, we, we have formation, yes. But the whole notion that you're first class or second class, in my mind, at least, didn't exist. We were brothers. And we had a say in how the house ran. And um, we had a say in what we wanted to study. Now, we all had to study 
theology and education, but I mean, I didn't suddenly find my kids say this to you sometimes, you know, did you want to be an English teacher? Did you want to be it? And it's like, yeah, they're, you know, the days of being told you're teaching, you know, biology when you have a degree in economics, they're, they're gone. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was one of the guys and all those, as I say, all those brothers that had taught me, and all those brothers who were not only old enough to be my father or my grandfather or the like, they were all, they were, uh, they were Pat, they were Bill, they were Ray, they were Dan, um, Tom, and so forth. So I stuck around because I definitely felt like I was accomplishing something. And where was I accomplishing? So initially as a student brother, I taught at LaSalle College High School, which was a rival of my own alma mater. And it was one of those introductions to obedience, not like it was a horror show, but it's kind of like, wow. Um, it, it would be akin to be growing up as a Phillies fan and being drafted by the Yankees. It's kind of like, I got to actually like these guys now. Um, and, uh, but I went and I, I, it was an upper middle class suburban Philadelphia Catholic high school and, and I really liked it. And then they sent me inner city to West Catholic for a year. And I had hoped to stay there. Uh, it was a, it was inner city, but it was uh, very integrated. Um, it had a long reputation. Uh, the kids were a bit gritty, but they were the kind that uh, if if they embraced you, it was it was for life type of deal. And and I followed that. I went for three years to another suburban Philadelphia Catholic high school, Archbishop Carroll. I did an inhibition because we kind of do things backwards in that regard. You know, if you're a brother. You, you really your your job is to be a teacher to work in schools. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do all this formation work to be a a brother and then get out to our apostolate, which is schools, and find out you can't stand being with kids or you don't have the temperament to work with kids. Uh, so our formation had a lot to do with integrating in the school as well as can you deal with community life. Mm. So then I went to the novitiate for a year in upstate New York, and then they sent me back to West Catholic. And I was happily teaching so, um, religion and English at West Catholic. When I started on summers while at West Catholic, working at what we call the San Miguel schools. And the San Miguel model is to take kids in the middle school years who have fallen behind and try and catch them up. So I've been doing that in Camden. I did that three summers and someone apparently got the notion that that's the kind of work I wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> and so in year five at West Catholic, the brother who was the auxiliary provincial shows up at my classroom, well, at the end of a class. And he came in and, and started talking to me about this school that was going to be opened in Washington, D.C. 
for Latino boys. And as he's talking, to, you, you get that feeling that somehow you're at the end of the story, you're going to be asked to do something. And as I'm listening to this unfold, I finally said, um, it sounds to me like you want me to teach sixth grade in this new school. And, and the brother who asked me, he had a tendency when he got nervous to chuckle. And he starts chuckling. And I said, I take that as a yes. He's like, well, yeah. I said, no, I don't have any training for that. And uh, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, I, I last visited Washington when I was 11 years old. What exactly is recommending me for this job? And that's the thing about religious life. You don't necessarily have to have all the skills to do the job. Uh, you have to have a desire to want to help people. And when you have a network of brothers, you can do that. So uh, eventually, uh, yeah, I, I went to Washington. Now, in the meantime, they changed their mind about the sixth grade part and made me the principal. And that's another whole adventure. But nevertheless, I, I went to Washington, D.C. to open a school for middle school boys, grades six, seven, and eight in Washington, D.C. And uh, as I say, I had never worked full time in a middle school. I had at best been the chair of a department at West Catholic. Uh, I spoke no Spanish. And I really didn't know Washington. I mean, everybody knows the mall, so to speak. But once you get out beyond where all the museums are and the government buildings, this is, you know, East Coast City. And, um, yeah, I somehow was supposed to put together a, a program. And so that what I did for about 11 years. Uh, not about, but for 11 years, we I was able to tap into the fact that we weren't the first of these Miguel schools. There were about four of them at the time, maybe five. And I actually went out to the San Miguel school we have in Chicago, back of the yards. And I spent a week there just trying like a sponge to soak up as much as I could about how they did things. And one of the things that struck me was that they had every kid had three English classes a day and two math classes. And I found that fascinating because and it made so much sense after I'd seen it because. Talking about the basics, if you've got kids who aren't proficient in English and aren't really proficient in the basics of mathematics, arithmetic. Then no matter how much science you teach them that it's never going to fully gel. Mm -hmm. um, history isn't going to gel. None of those things are going to gel if the basics aren't there. And, and they had a wonder, you know, again, that this could be the subject for another day, but I took what I could and went back to Washington and, uh, using the connections that I'd made and what I had seen, my own experience of things, we carved out a school 
that opened with 11 boys in the sixth grade. We operated in the basement of the office building of an Episcopal church on Newton Street, on North, just off of North Capitol. How many teachers did you have at that time? And I had, well, that's interesting. We, we had a teacher. And um, we hired a secretary slash second teacher the, day, the first day of school. The furniture had arrived two days earlier. The, the, the secretary that we hired, who was also going to help us with classes, was the only one who spoke Spanish. The teacher spoke no, no Spanish either, uh, despite the fact that all of the parents were born outside of the United States. And I would say maybe a quarter of the kids themselves were born outside of the United States. Um, they were overwhelmingly Salvadoran. Their, many of their parents had lived through the Salvadoran Civil War. My teacher, my, the one, the secretary slash teacher had lived through the Salvadoran Civil War. So they, I mean, they were refugees. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so they, they, they had, um, if you think about it, these parents were so desperate for their sons mm -hmm. because of what they had experienced in the public school system that they were willing to take a bet on a school that really wasn't a school. I mean, it was a couple of spaces in an office building that had no history. They put their trust. Part of it was that the connection that we had to our high school in Washington, St. John's College High School, and that the reputation that, that the brothers in the school had. Uh, and yeah, so we started out and we stayed there for seven years. And after seven years, we moved to a, a building, a, a small office building that we converted in classrooms. And we probably had some, something like 65 boys spread across sixth, seventh, and eighth grade by the time I left. Um, our goal was that when they graduated, that they would be able to. Um, have a choice in what public, uh, what's high school. Now, most of them went to private schools. Either we, they were either in Catholic uh, school, charter school. Um, rarely they went back to their local public high school. Um, they had, generally speaking, retaken them, some of them, from reading at the second and third grade level up to the eighth grade level. And those that came in a little higher that were coming in at the fourth or fifth grade level, they often left reading at grade level or a year, you know, some of them into the ninth grade. So, and part of that was because of the innovations that I had picked up in Chicago. Once they left us, they, they would be tracked. We had a graduate support program which meant that one person on staff's job was to keep track of these boys because most of their parents had never been even graduated elementary school. Uh, and then to navigate an American high school system was difficult. And, and the kids themselves is just, you know, the level of work is going to increase. And so, yeah, that's what we, we did at San Miguel. Uh, at the end of 
11 years, uh, I had thought that I would go back to, to teaching uh, high school. And once again, as religious life teaches us, our plans aren't necessarily our own. I got the wonderful job of being vocation director. You met some colorful individuals such as brother and I here. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, you mean we're not the highlight of your vocation uh, director career? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it, well, the thing is, is that, um, the, the upside is that, yeah, I got to meet you two who are, uh, are wonderful young men in many ways. I, I try not to be too effusive with my compliments, so as <laughs> not to... Not to give you you guys a big head, which is which is in the tradition of religious life. Um, you were among you know a, quite a number of guys, and you know it's interesting over over the years that the things that I would hear um, from young men about what was impeding them um, really kind of could boil down to a certain amount of fear. And let's face it, uh, discerning a religious vocation, just like discerning whether to, to be to, discerning a career, mm -hmm. but also discerning uh, married life, uh, fatherhood, all of those things, they, they, they are becoming more daunting because more and more people are opting out of the traditional vocation. Um, more and more people questioned the the old norms of you know what do you do um and i think part of it is we have so many choices that we're always a little afraid that if we make this choice then we're missing out on something yeah. and that's a part of growing up mm -hmm. uh i have in my vocation job i visited all these different schools and i saw all sorts of different methods. And I remember coming across a place where I was told to have heads up that when I would be speaking in a class, the, there might be someone in the class who was eating lunch. And I'm like, well, don't they have a lunch period? And the answer was, well, possibly not. Well, why not? Well, because they had, their schedule didn't allow it. I'm like, well, I don't get that. But what it boiled down to is that the kid had overloaded. Mm -hmm. I was taking eight classes in eight periods. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, well, why? And they're like, well, you know, I'm like, you tell them that they get seven classes and a lunch for their tuition. Well, you know, you really can't say that these days. And I was like, I don't get that. And one of the things that I think was missed in that was the sense that you don't disappoint anybody. Mm -hmm. And and but but I I think one of the things that it teaches is you have to make choices. Yeah. You have to be able to say that among those eight classes, there was one that wasn't that wasn't a priority. Yeah. If, if eight classes are all a priority, then none of them are a priority. Mm -hmm. And so you know, for a young man or for a young woman, when you're thinking about things, you know, you you have to recognize, and it's part of growing up that. You try something, at least for a period of time, you're giving up all the other options. 
And, you know, obviously it's been a long time since I dated, but, you know, one of the things about dating even is, you know, you date one person at a time. Now, are there people out there who try and date several people at a time? Yeah. But I often wonder like, what, how can you really get to know somebody if there's somebody on the offing or someone else? And so the idea in, in my mind is you make a choice and you live with it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most religious congregation these days try and tailor it to what you can, you can do. Um, and because of that, it's like, why not take advantage of a situation where people will help me know more about myself? Uh, and that means that that they will provide the time and the space, whether it's through a retreat, it's a come and see, um, a an extended time, uh, possibly a live-in work relationship, those kinds of things. They're like they're the equivalent to me in many ways of of an internship mm-hmm. that yeah. that people take. And um, for many people who do internships, one of the things that can happen is the realization that really this isn't what I want to spend my time on. But the flip, obviously, is that for a lot of people, it kind of confirms what they've already had suspicions about, mm-hmm. which is that I might be happy doing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if, you're, if it, it is something that comes up that don't just simply trust what other people are telling you take a take a risk take a chance when you're young it is a time of your life that you can do that because what commitments do you really have Mm -hmm. i appreciate student loans might be an issue along the way as well but to take a weekend to go on a a retreat Mm -hmm. uh, to you know, meet with somebody on a regular basis, to me, isn't that that major commitment. But it oftentimes, I think, because I think of all the guys that I've met, even either in my own formation when I was uh, discerning or that I've met along the way, rarely have I ever met anybody who has said, oh, my God, I really wish I had that time back. You know, that was such a waste of my life. Yeah, I mean, in some cases, it's they, they've learned they've had an insight because they finally had some time away from all the other pressures to con- contemplate, even if it isn't that they want to be a brother or sister or a priest, but they want to do service mm-hmm. um, and, and the like. So that's that's my that's my story. and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, thank you, brother, very much. Uh, in your own way, you covered all of our questions and no problem. Anything else? Nope. I think, yeah, you you hit every, uh, hit it all. Well, thank you very much for joining us and for spending this time with us and sharing your own uh, vocation story in your own time uh, as brother. Okay. You're just welcome. So shall we end as we end all things? Live Jesus in our hearts forever. forever.